Welcome to the Shining Light Podcast. Our goal is to separate the wheat from the tares and to shine light into the darkness. I'm Pastor Sam Jones, and I'm joined with Patrick No Compromise with Evil Wyatt. Now, Patrick, (laughs) where did you get that name, No Compromise with Evil? You know, I was trying to to figure out some names uh, that would kind of fit, and I was trying not to be overly aggressive. So I, I did, you know, first four given, the number four given. That was taken. Really? So, yeah, and I, I was I was bouncing around to other things that were, were related to that. Um, Saved by Grace, that one was taken. So all these, these names were taken. And after my 10th one that I tried on uh, WordPress, where I was signed in, you know, they ask you for a name, who expects that? But uh, so I said, well... <laughs> You know, what am I about? And I said, oh, how about no compromise with evil? So I put that in there. Nobody had taken that name. I was kind of surprised, but I guess it cuts to the heart of the matter, doesn't it? That really does cut to the heart of the matter. And uh, unfortunately, it probably tells us quite a bit about our culture also. I mean, if nobody's taken no compromise with evil, a lot of that is because uh, people are compromising with evil. And in that article that you were actually coming up with that WordPress name, you touch on a man who was compromising with evil. Could you tell me a little bit about how he was compromising with evil and a little bit about your article? Well, it was uh, a sermon at the GARB convention, or the conference, and uh, the pastor is Michael Wilburn, I believe. And uh, so I listened to his sermon that you'd sent my way. He said, you know, what do you think about this? And uh, real quick, I started noticing a pattern with him speaking. It sounded more like something you hear from the Southern Baptist Convention or Gospel Coalition. And uh, lo and behold, it was from the same talking points. And you'll hear this over and over again from pastors right now. The hot topic was, you know, why are our churches so white? Um, Things that are racially motivated as far as how they're looking at a congregation, not from a Christian worldview, but from this worldview of a facet of social justice it's known as, um, you can alternately call it critical race theory, you can call it in other uh, terms like uh, identity politics. So uh, this has crept into the church and it definitely has an origin and it comes from a place and that place is not the Bible. Okay, so we've got critical race theory, identity politics, and you know these are, these are words that are actually using quite a bit. Uh, racial justice is another one that they use quite a bit. Yes. And what are these ideas and where do they come from? That's really what we're going to be exploring tonight. Uh, how would you define critical race theory or identity politics? What would be your definition of that? Well, critical race theory is a subset of actual critical theory. And critical theory goes back to the central theme of what's known as cultural Marxism. Um, to understand cultural Marxism, first you have to understand Marxism. Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels Uh, came together and they based some of their ideas on a French uh, philosopher who talked about socialism and then also a German philosopher Hegel who talked about how societies only advance through opposing ideas clashing with each other and then you have a synthesis or a conclusion of those two ideas merging. So Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels in 1848 uh, printed the Communist Manifesto and then this was outlined um, their ten planks on how they wanted to change society fundamentally. Now theirs was an attack on the economic system. So they wanted to fundamentally change the economic system to a system that what they called would be communism or socialism at the time. Karl Marx stated, my objective in life is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. So that gives you a pretty good idea of what Marxism is all about. 
as I said, he was militantly atheist, so these two themes, which goes back to beyond Karl Marx, back to Satan, of course. Capitalism is a system by which God blessed the world, economically speaking, and of course we know who God is and his word coming through the Western civilization. That's kind of where you saw the attacks more towards uh, whites, because Western civilization is how the gospel was spread throughout the world. So. Marx had these ideas as far as that system, and uh, they saw fruition with Lenin taking over Russia in a communist revolution, uh, rising up the peasants against the uh, people in charge, the oppressed versus the oppressors, the uh, bourgeoisie and the proletariat. These are words that Marx used. But along comes Antonio Gramsci and some other thinkers that realized that the uh, revolution they just saw in Russia wasn't going to work in the Western world, the United States. So they had to come up with another form of Marxism, and this is where cultural Marxism was born. Not quite called that under Gramsci, but Gramsci, Antonio Gramsci was a communist leader in Italy. He was actually imprisoned by the fascists when they came to power, but he surmised that uh, Western civilization had its roots in Christianity for 2,000 years, that for any sort of a revolution of the Marxism to occur here and be successful, those roots had to be cut. And so these, this idea of, of Marxism and cultural Marxism, of course, it is very much anti-Christian, anti-God. Yes, very foundational. And they're, they're constantly not just trying to overthrow the economic structure, which was the original goal of uh, Marxism, but they're also trying to overthrow the family and morality and work ethic and, of course, take away private property also is another big one. And it, basically what you're saying is original or traditional Marxism was through an economic system, and this cultural Marxism was through different facets of culture, whether it would be race or gender or really anything you can find victimhood in. Is that a good way to, to sum that up? Yeah. Before even Lenin was able to take over in Russia, another facet of Marxism was starting to take form. In 1884 in London, the Fabian Society came into being. And these were people that thought, again, kind of like what Gramsci would later talk about, that for a successful revolution in the West to take place, you have to attack the underpinning structure of that society, which is our culture. So you had to go after Christianity, you had to take control of the education system, you had to take control of the politicians. So it was a pretty good theory that they came up with. And an interesting thing about the Fabian Society, their very first coat of arms, is a wolf in sheep's clothing. So that's that, that really draws a picture <laughs> right there, doesn't it? I mean, yes, it's, it, uh, it's pretty indicative of what they believed. So uh, after Gramsci, there was uh, the group that really um, is the major influence of what we're going to talk about critical theory and in critical race theory. In Germany, 1923, 1924, a group of intellectuals came together, Marxists, neo-Marxists, and they formed what was known as the, uh, what we now know as the Frankfurt School. It was going to be the Institute of Marxism. But that sounded too revealing, so then they thought it, well, we'll call it the Institute of Social Studies. Isn't it interesting, too, how no matter what, uh, it's never a good thing when people go and they try to hide who they are in the name. I, <laughs> I mean, if... You it, mean like a wolf in sheep's clothing? <laughs> right, like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, it, it, and I mean, this is, this is what we're about right here at the uh, Shining Light podcast, is that we are trying to shine light into darkness, reveal things specifically within the church. Uh, with what they're supposed to be saying in the Word of God and are they lining up with the Word of God. And as we look at this idea here, Patrick has been really going over cultural Marxism and Marxism and seeing how this has infiltrated the churches. And 
specifically with that idea of critical race theory. And so continue on with this, this idea of the, this, the Frankfurt School. So the Frankfurt School, after they formed in Germany 1923-1924, um, they were moving towards the same area in history that another Marxist group was forming over there. This would be the National German Socialist Workers Party, the Nazi Party. So there was a struggle for power. Those were bad guys too, by the way, right? The Nazis. Yeah, I they're mean, they're bad guys. You, you All Marxists are bad guys. It's just different flavors of bad guys. Right. I mean, uh, you don't really want to be associated with Nazism. That's that's never a good thing. No. And in Marxism, Nazism, communism, socialism, is there really any difference between these things? Fascism. Let's add that in. Fascism there too. also. So yeah. So you you understand that just by the name of the National German Workers Socialist Party. Um, that socialism is part of that. Also, the fascist party, Mussolini in Italy, was in the 30s rising to power there, and Mussolini got his start in the socialist party as well. So you had this power struggle going on in these different countries. Of course, the communists had taken over Russia. They were trying and vying for power in uh, Germany and Italy. The unfortunate thing for those guys were these nationalist movements, national socialists or national Marxist movements, going up against this international Marxist movement, communism, socialism. The Nazis won out in Germany, the fascists won out in Italy. So Gramsci, who I just talked about, Gramsci was imprisoned by the fascists. They saw him as a rival to what they were trying to do. In Germany, the Frankfurt School, what we now know as the Frankfurt School, um, these neo-Marxists, a lot of them were apostate Jews that, that were the thinkers. So you were both Jewish and communist. That wasn't going to work too well with Hitler. So <laughs> these guys were forced to close up shop, and then they were assisted by uh, American John Dewey in transforming or transporting that whole group over to the United States where they found seed here at Columbia University starting out with. And from there they spread out through the different academia colleges and universities in the United States. And of course uh, from there um, one of their founding principles as far as how they're going to do, it was through these guys too that we come up with that actual concept of the words cultural Marxism. Foundational to cultural Marxism, though, is this thing called critical theory. Okay, and so these are not theories. These are not good foundations uh, at all. They're godless foundations, and they have they have infiltrated the church today. Could you uh, just quickly name a few of these guys who these theories and these ideas have come in, and they've been preaching these in the church today? Well, so what critical theory is, when you look at it just as a theory, critical theory is, is pretty simple, actually, in concept. It is to look at a culture, break it down, and look at a culture breaking it down for the purpose of criticizing and destroying it. So they're also deconstructionalists. Would Deconstruction be is, is, yeah, mm -hmm. when you actually implement critical theory, what you're talking about is deconstruction. Right. And, of course, deconstructing the culture of America, I mean, we don't have time to, to really get into that uh, tonight, but... We're bound, we're, we are based on the Bible. Our foundation is as a Christian, Christian nation. Yep. And so whenever we're looking at deconstructing or criticizing our culture, and we're not talking about just a, a, a small criticism, uh, we're talking about criticizing the foundation of our nation. We're talking about something that's very dangerous, something that is going against the Word of God. Yes. Would that be accurate to say? Yeah, and I mean, that goes right back to Marx, right? My object is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. Um, some other philosophers of that period, Friedrich Nietzsche, God is dead. Um, Nietzsche's a father of postmodernism. This is part of the idea that goes into the church as well, that there are no moral absolutes, that there is no God. So obviously if there's no God, there's no moral absolutes. 
and then really life is meaningless nihilism so when you start putting all this stuff together and again you keep seeing this recurring theme these guys were atheists and they weren't right. just you know quiet atheists these people were out to destroy God in the, in the concept of Christianity in people's minds and hearts and so who, who are some of these guys we're going to be revealing a few of them like I said with this idea of critical race theory it's been it's been really big recently in the church but who are some of the main proponents uh, of this Marxist philosophy within the church within church currently currently yep well you would you would Tim Keller who, who admitted that one of the major influences in his life was neo-marxist theory from the Frankfurt School so you have Tim Keller one of the co-founders of the Gospel Coalition Gospel Coalition pushes this idea um, and this is also people from the uh, Southern Baptist Convention such as Russell Moore and Al Mohler president of the Southern Baptist University these guys are on the board of the Gospel Coalition so what you have is these two very powerful names in the Christian world today getting together, talking about it, and you'll start hearing the same sorts of sermons coming from these people at the same time. Well, it's funny you mentioned Russell Moore. Uh, we actually have a clip from him from his sermon at the MLK 50 conference, which it was, of course, to celebrate, well, not to celebrate, but to remember the 50 years ago that Martin Luther King Jr. died, and he gets right into this philosophy that we're talking about. So let's go ahead and let's just take a listen to what Russell Moore has to say. Why is American evangelicalism so white and middle class? Why are we not cultivating the future? Why are we not bearing one another's burdens? It's because the American evangelical movement needs to be more evangelistic, yes. But the American evangelical movement also needs to be more evangelistic. Russell Moore asking the question, why is evangelicalism so white? And that goes right into the issue of critical race theory, right? Yes. I mean, why, why would you ask that question? Why is uh, American evangelicalism so white? I mean, I have just a, a few stats. Of course, we're, we're over here in, in Iowa, but Iowa is 91.1% white. The United States is 76.6% white. Uh, specifically, of course, with the MLK 50, it's no doubt we're talking about uh, African Americans. Uh, I, the African American portion of our nation is thir around 13%. So, I mean, if we're talking about 25% or 50% of our, our churches being African American, we're not really reaching the true demographics of the streets, would we be? I mean, just from a factual side of things, that's, that's kind of a ridiculous proposition. Well, yeah, where you live is typically where you go to church at, and, and people certainly have the freedom to live where they want to, but people tend to live sometimes in areas where they are, uh, a, one race is predominant. Now, if you were to go into some areas, um, you would go into a church of that area, the membership would be predominantly black. You go into other areas where mostly white, those churches are going to be predominantly white. So uh, this whole idea of now attacking because you go into a church, it's all white or all black, um, God's not a respecter of persons. But now we're trying to make something racial out of this. And it's interesting when you go back to the Frankfurt School, that one of the Frankfurt School, when they were putting together critical theory, they realized that they had to do, quote, they had to make a coalition of victims. So you had to go out there and get everybody divided up by color of their skin 
or even either their, their gender, economic class, beliefs. They were trying to make groups of people, and of course, Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. Satan certainly knows this. So it's not too hard of a, a grasp to know that his theories are going to reflect this, that division is what kills. So what you're seeing right now when somebody walks in, like Russell Moore or any of these other guys that are talking about this stuff, trying to make an issue of race, that they're making an issue of division. They go, well, we all got to come together. They're not trying to come together. They're actually attacking what the cultural Marxists said, were after, and they've always been after the Marxists, against Western civilization. Well, this also goes into not just uh, cultural Marxism, but it also gets into the social gospel uh, or the idea of social justice to tie the gospel with justice also. I mean, I don't know if you <laughs> caught the, the very end of Russell Moore's uh, statement in that clip wasn't just simply, you know, why are the American churches so white? It wasn't just a, a race thing, but he comes out and he questions the salvation of the evangelical movement. Now, I really don't mind questioning the salvation of the evangelical movement. I mean, Jesus said, uh, narrow is the way that leads into life and few there find it. So I really don't mind questioning that, but I have a problem with the foundation of his question and that he's questioning people's salvation based upon their racial view, based mm -hmm. upon uh, the, this perceived notion of racism and social justice that's going on or needs to happen. If you're not willing to be a social justice warrior, you're not really saved, according to Russell Moore. That seems to be what he's hinting at to me. Does that seem to be accurate to you? Yes, and, and social justice is kind of the big umbrella term for cultural Marxism nowadays. It incorporates into it um, critical race theory, it incorporates feminism, it incorporates even environmentalism. Um, yes, so this is, he, he's going into more of humanist thinking outside the Bible. He's going political rather than biblical. And that's what all this is about. This is about a political movement. Yeah, this is about a political movement. And the, the theology here is really, really poor in my estimation. Uh, we're we're going to listen to a few more clips. The next person that we're going to listen to a clip from is David Platt. But I do want to say that, that about at least three, I can't remember if it was three or all four of these preachers that we're going to listen to clips to from, te from today, their foundational passage, or at least a main passage that they used, was from Ephesians chapter 2. Now, this is a podcast. It's not a sermon, so I'm going to entrust you to go look up Ephesians chapter 2. We're not going to read that uh, today. But in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks an awful lot about hostility and peace. And they come and they try to say, look, the gospel reconciles man to God. And that's a good point. It does reconcile man to God. That's the, the point of reconciliation. That's the point of the gospel. But then they go a step further and say it also reconciles man to man. And here's the problem. I do believe the gospel gives opportunity for that reconciliation, but it doesn't guarantee that reconciliation. And they're trying to say that the gospel should guarantee that reconciliation, that it does just magically make us reconciled. And here's the thing, when we when we accept the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are immediately reconciled between man and God. We, we are saved. It, it is only the blood of Jesus Christ that God the Father sees. He no longer sees our sin. But when it comes to our relationship with each other, if we had offended one another, rightfully or wrongfully so, 
in order to take care of that offense, it's not taken care of at the point of salvation. It's taken care of when we go and we ask each other for forgiveness. Would you agree with that point? I mean, yes. I mean, if I, I came and I, I killed your wife and then I got saved, Patrick, would that just make our relationship okay? Would you go, well, we're just best buddies because I know you killed my wife, but you know what? You accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Would, would that would that fix the problems magically like that? Well, you know, that, that depends on your ability to forgive, depends on if you're saved and sanctified. So um, we have to be able to love God correctly first. And only through that can we love one another correctly. Only through that forgiveness we get through God and admission of our sins can we then emulate God as he transforms us, not by my power, but by him working through me, could I forgive you for a crime like that? Because you know what? We've done horrible things to God, and he's forgiven us. He sent his son to die for us. He loved us that much. By that example, uh, it shows us the way. So I think with social justice and some of these ideas, they're kind of bypassing the God thing and trying to get us to love each other. Right. I, and and I we're agree. forgetting God, and we're, we're not... He's the one we're supposed to love with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength. And when we do that, He changes our hearts. That's right. He does. And it is so important, that idea of asking for forgiveness. And, of course, the biggest thing is accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And there are no strings attached. We're being saved from that sin of unbelief. You know, that is the unpardonable sin is the sin of unbelief. It's it's not even something as, as heinous as racism. And by the way, we're not trying to say that there's not such a thing as racism out there. That's, that's not our point today. No. Our point is to say that this isn't the gospel. This, is, this isn't the gospel that these guys are presenting, and they are driving another agenda, one that is different from what the Bible would bring. But let's go ahead and let's listen to that second clip of David Platt. The first one was from Russell Moore at the MLK 50 conference. The second one was followed up by David Platt at the T4G conference, which was just a little bit after the MLK 50, but it very much so echoed the MLK 50. Why are so many of our churches so white? Well, there you have it, Patrick. Why are our churches, or why are so many of our churches so white? I'll go ahead and throw that question over to you. Why are our churches so white? Well, what, 77% of our population is white? That might have something to do with it. Y you know, I, I, I think it might. <laughs> so I think maybe a better question should be asked is how many people in our churches are saved in that this age of apostasy? Regardless of their skin color, how many people are saved? Um, I don't believe I read anywhere in the Bible where they were talking about getting some sort of a quota system into your church. I believe the whole object of the Great Commission was to get people saved, make disciples of people. I, that's what I have in my Bible. I mean, I don't know what version of the Bible these guys are using. Uh, perhaps it's one they made up, but n no, you're, you're exactly right. That, that is the purpose of the church is to get people saved, to disciple uh, people, and it doesn't really matter what their skin color is. It doesn't, well, it doesn't matter at all. In fact, I, if you go back into Genesis, did God make man as all these different races and saying that they're all kinds of, of different people, or did it say that he made them and they reproduced after their own kind? That man, or excuse me, that God made man in his own image, no matter what color they are. Yeah, and we, you know, they'll start downplaying, well, you know, people say they don't see color. Well, you can see color. That doesn't matter. But are we brothers and sisters in Christ? My brothers and sisters are those that are in Christ, Jesus. 
it doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter what color their skin is. That They're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And they're welcome in our church. They're welcome in any church. I don't know that I've ever been in any church where there was any sort of uh, racist overtones where certain people are not welcome. But they're implying that that's the case, that churches obviously must be all white um, because maybe there must be some racist overtone on our part. I, if, if Maybe they've been to a church like that. I haven't. Right. I, I haven't been to a church like that either. And I mean, just, just to bring up the statistics, uh, our church is in Hudson, Iowa. Now, the statistics on Hudson, Iowa are that Hudson is 99.6% white. I'm not trying to sit here and just offend our church. That's that's not the goal here of this. I don't feel like these guys have attacked us or feel like that we, we need to go out and defend our church specifically. But I'll tell you, if if we were running 50 people of uh, that are African-Americans in our church, we're not reaching our community. We're reaching a different community. And I would also like to throw it back at these guys. Why are churches in Africa so black? <laughs> now, now that's it. I know I just became a racist in many people's mind for asking that question, but we just had a missionary come a couple months ago from Kenya, and he showed us pictures of his church, and I I only remember seeing one white person in the entire presentation, and that was a visitor from a church in the United States. Uh, and the reason I know it was a visitor is because I personally know the, the pastor that was over there visiting on a missions trip. But I didn't go and raise my hand and ask him the question of saying, you know, sir, why is your church so black? I mean, have you thought about going and reaching out to the white community? We would go and think that would be a ridiculous proposition, but why is it even given the light of day, the time of day, to be preaching this, let alone be preaching this, at two of the premier conferences, probably the two premier evangelical conferences in the United States, and to be asking the question, why are our churches, or why are so many of our churches so white? Does that seem ridiculous to you? It's completely ridiculous. And, you know, there would have been a time not too long ago when this sort of questioning, people would have outright rejected it. But this just goes to show you how far we've drifted into this Marxist ideology, this cultural Marxism, that minds are being changed, not just in society, which certainly is the case. On college campuses, you'll hear social justice openly preached, but they, they call it the same thing in our churches. They don't even bother to change the definition or the wording of it, but they rewrap it in Christian terms for, for church consumption. And of course, part of this is the division. They're called, why are our churches so white? Well, it wasn't just that David Platt asked that question of why are our churches so white. He also gives us a definition of racism. So I just want to play the definition of racism. And once again, this is David Platt from the T4G, Together for the Gospel, conference. And this is a, a doctrine and really a theory, I guess we could say, that has been infecting our churches. And we're going to be looking at a smaller area. It's not just in big churches and big speakers, but we're going to be getting into the smaller trickle-down effect, too, in just a little bit. But here is David Platt's definition of racism. Here's the definition I'm using. A system could be individual, could be institutional, could be society, societal, a system in which race, and specifically as we're talking tonight, black or white skin color, profoundly affects people's economic political, and social experiences. He defines this as 
impacting their political, economic, and social experiences. And that brings us right back to what we we're pointing out at the very beginning of this podcast, and that is critical race theory. Critical race theory emphasizes experience over argument. Critical race theory is part of a deconstructionist or critical theory worldview, and it's rooted in postmodernism. Now, what do you think about this definition of racism, of having race impact one's experience is essentially what he's saying because he, he goes and he lists basically every area of life that it's impacting their experience. Do you think that's a, a viable definition of racism? No, and no, and he's notice all these are humanist points. Here's a, a man from the pulpit talking on these humanist or secular points about your position in society and that sort of thing. He's uh, definitely twisting for, again, for church consumption, these ideas on what defines racism or not. He said a systemic or individual or system-wide sort of thing. So I guess we're now supposed to be telling individuals what they're supposed to think. Now, I'm not advocating we tell uh, that, that racism is a good thing, but people have the right to believe what they want to believe. What we have to do is change their hearts before we can change their minds. And that's what Christ does through Jesus or uh, Right. Christ Jesus does. Right. And he he gets into this idea here of experience. Experience, experience, experience. But the problem is, is that experience is emphasized or it is lifted up over argument time and time again with these preachers. Uh, just to give a, a quick uh, statistic here from, and this is from Mapping Police Violence. It's the 2017 Police Violence Report. And it says on here, most unarmed people killed by police were people of color. And specifically looking back, when we, we look at that uh, phrase, we think of people of color, we think of people with black skin, uh, and that's exactly what David Platt was saying. This is exactly uh, where our minds go, are people with black skin. Well, here's the problem. You go and you look at these statistics, and 49 black people were killed, uh, unarmed people were killed by police violence, but 51 whites were. And, you know, and it also goes into the situation, too. So you're saying somebody's unarmed. Does that, was that unarmed person standing there with their hands on their head completely surrendered? Was this person actually physically attacking somebody? If you're coming after somebody, say, a police officer with a gun, if you take that gun away from that police officer, that police officer's life can be taken with their own weapon. And this has happened before. Police know this. There's certain protocols when you deal with a, somebody that's not compliant or even aggressive. So has anybody ever been beat to death by an unarmed person? Of course they have. Right, and that, that really doesn't have to do with uh, what color you are or anything like that. In fact, if, if we were to go down and it says uh, in the same report, the Mapping Police Violence 2017 Police Violence Report, it talks about unarmed and not attacking people who were killed, and it gives the percentages based on ethnicity. And it says 34% were black, 32 Hispanic, and 32% white. Now, I understand uh, that is 34 is greater than 32, but if you give it a 1% chance to be wrong here, okay? 1% chance to be wrong, which when it comes to studies, that's, that's actually being pretty strict. That's a statistical uh, dead heat right there. Right. Uh, that's a, a statistical dead heat. I mean, that's pretty much one-third, one-third, one-third. And to me, what is that, that telling me? That's telling me the police are acting colorblind. Yes. It, it, it doesn't matter with that. And, and so 
though they are lifting up this idea of experience over argument or experience over fact, the problem is just that it is void of fact. The definition of David Platt's racism, what he gives as a definition, it's simply based on experience and not based on fact. It's based on feelings, not fact. Which is pushing the political narrative. That's right. It's pushing a political narrative, and, and that's a, a major part of this. We, we can't not talk about this. This is a, a political narrative that they are doing this. And they're going to come out, and we're going to listen to a clip just a little bit later about Russell Moore. And he's going to come out, and he's going to just reveal his... Actually, you know what? Let's go ahead and let's just listen to that clip right now of Russell Moore where he reveals his agenda in all of this. And this is going to be from the same message that he preached at the MLK 50, the one where he asks, why are our churches so white? If God's way upsets our political alliances, let's crucify our political alliances. Now, I actually agree with the sentiment here that Russell Moore is saying, if you just take it at face value as to what he said, I agree that if our political alliances uh, are are to be less than our alliance to God, but here's the issue. He's bringing this with the idea of race, and he's bringing this, of course, to evangelicals, who evangelicals are mostly Republicans. Conservative, yeah. Right. Now, who is the party of Jim Crow? That would be the Democrats. That, that'd be the Democrats. Who is the party of Abraham Lincoln? That would be the Republicans. Didn't uh, John Quincy Adams, who was also Republican, have a pretty interesting nickname? Yes, he was known as the Hellhound of Abolition. So the Hellhound of Abolition, in fact, he brought year and year in and year out the proposition to remove the gag rule, which made it so that they couldn't talk about abolishing slavery. He did that year in and year out, gained that nickname. In fact, one of famous quote from John Quincy Adams was, duty is ours, results are God's. So now the question is here, why would you be trying to break the tie to the Republican Party if the Republican Party has historically been the one to fight racism in our culture? What is their agenda here? Well, Russell Moore got his political start with Democratic Congressman Gene Taylor in Mississippi. So um, that's where Moore came from. He came from the Democrat Party, and uh, even as uh, now Taylor wasn't that bad of a congressman as Democrats go, but that was back in the day. The, uh, the problem with Moore is, though, is he's continued these ties to the Democratic Party. Though he claims to be pro-life, he's basically pushed about every other facet of what the Democratic Party's pushing today, which is certainly anti-God. Well, I mean, he, he went as far at one point to go and to say that Jesus was a, an illegal alien. And he, I mean, he hasn't backed off that stance either. He's doubled oh, down on it. Yeah. And I mean, if Jesus was an illegal alien, I'm sorry to tell you this, but Jesus couldn't save you from your sin because he was not the perfect sacrifice if Jesus was an illegal alien. And by the way, just to, to kind of break down the theology behind that, what Russell Moore was saying was when Joseph and Mary went and they fled to Egypt with Jesus, of course, uh, he was saying that they were illegal aliens. There's one major problem with that, though. Patrick, did they flee from one nation to another? 
This was all part of the Roman Empire at the time. There were no immigration laws broken going from Judea or Samaria or anywhere in that region into what we know as Egypt today. There were no borders to cross. They didn't scale a fence. They were there legally. You could move around, as it were. And another point, of course, is when an angel tells you to go, you go. But there were no immigration laws broken. So to be an illegal alien is a legal status. It means that you have illegally entered a country against the rules and laws of that country. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph did no such thing. Man, uh, that really puts it into a different light when you look at it that way. And once again, it seems like Russell Moore was trying to make a political agenda out of theology. And this political agenda, it fits with this socialism agenda or this communism agenda or probably best stated, this Marxist agenda. And that is to destroy society, to create a class war. If you read the Communist Manifesto, that's basically the first thing that you come and find out is that Karl Marx wants to create a class war. And that's exactly what they're doing. Now, granted, this isn't through the economic system, as we talked about. This isn't going through traditional or classic Marxism. This is going through cultural Marxism. Cultural Marxism. And of course, amongst the cultural Marxists, they know this, that whatever issue we're talking about, whether it be racial theory or feminism or the homosexual movement, the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. So what they're talking about is always keep your eye on the goal, and the goal is the destruction of this society, this Christian-based society, to destroy that society, and then they're going to replace it with a Marxist system. And in that Marxist system, there's no room for the God of the Bible. There's no room for Jesus. A Marxist system, all these forms of Marxism we talked about are totalitarian systems. Now, if you look at the ultimate conclusion of this, go to Revelation chapter 13. There will be a one-world religion. It won't be Christian. And there will be a one-world government. At the head of that will be the Antichrist. This will be the ultimate system that they're trying to put in place right now. This is what it all works toward. Well, that's not at all where we want to be. That's, I mean, we know it is inevitable. We will end up there. But, you know, it would be my preference that we don't end up there soon. Well, I guess if the rapture comes, I'm, I'm okay with that, <laughs> uh, that we end up there. But we are to be fighting evil. We are to be shedding light into darkness. And, of course, unfortunately, the darkness does reject the light many times because their deeds are evil. And here, I believe, we're seeing with David Platt, Russell Moore, an evil agenda and, of course, an evil revolution that they're pushing. And the problem with this is it'd be okay if it just stayed with guys like Russell Moore and David Platt. But these guys are men of influence, and they influence other pulpits. Now, the Gospel Coalition, the Southern Baptist Convention, those are pretty big. And to tell you the truth, I don't really care so much about the, the Gospel Coalition. I'm not a Gospel Coalition pastor. Our church isn't a Gospel Coalition church, that's for sure. And we're also not Southern Baptist. And so some people might be going and saying, well, what do you care about this? Why do you care about this? The problem is, is that these are men of influence, and they've influenced even something like the GARB, the G-A-R-B-C, the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches, which is what our church is associated with. We have been in the G-A-R-B-C since our conception as a church, and the G-A-R-B-C has historically been a conservative separatist association. And I just want to play a clip, which is actually what brought about this podcast uh, from Michael Wilburn. Wilburn, Michael Wilburn, 
And this is from the National Conference, the, the GARB National Conference. And Patrick, no compromise with Evil Wyatt. That really is your middle name, right? No compromise with <laughs> I'm Evil I'm going to get it legally changed, yeah. Okay, that's good, that's good. Uh, where you go and you really break down this sermon. And I'll go ahead and link this sermon into this podcast, too. So it'll be right there, or excuse me, the review of the sermon into this podcast. But let's go ahead and let's listen to a clip from him. And you tell me if this sounds much different or basically exactly the same as David Platt and Russell Moore. So let me ask some hard questions before we arrive at solutions. Why are our churches so white? Why don't the pews reflect the streets? Why is the church marked by race more than redemption? Well, there you have it. I mean, could it be any closer? Why are our churches so white, says Russell Moore. Why are our churches so white, says David Platt. Why are our churches so white, right there. Why are they marked by race? Well, you got to be some race. Yeah, I mean. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're some color. You come from some background. Uh, Again, our church is marked by the human race, in case you're curious. we Yeah, know. that's we're all made in the image of God. So um, you notice these guys are, again, looking at a political movement for power when we're supposed to be out there trying to save souls. Right. The soul's what's eternal. These political movements will come and go, and ultimately it ends up where we just talked about. But the only permanent thing that comes out of this world are the souls of, of beloved people that God made in His image. These are the people we're supposed to be reaching out and not running these different political type of leftist movements. And these leftist movements, this is a leftist movement, by the way. It's very much against the Constitution, the founding principles of this nation. It's very much against the God-given rights that we were given. And did you notice, too, he tied redemption and race together? Very much so, like Russell Moore and David Platt. He ties race with salvation. And this, once again, goes into social justice or a social gospel. And this is really where I have a big beef with these gospel coalition guys, with these, this new movement in the Southern Baptist Convention. And that is they're denying the real gospel. Because the gospel is simply that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and that he rose again, and whosoever believes in him shall be saved. If you add anything to the gospel, like race, if you add anything into the gospel like feeding the poor, it's no longer the gospel. It's another gospel, as the Apostle Paul called it. He said those that would preach that another gospel should be accursed. In fact, so much did he hate that that he repeated that again. I say again, if you preach another gospel, let them be accursed. So, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big statement right there. And these guys are preaching another gospel. And, and this, is a, this is a major issue. This is obviously founded and rooted in a godless philosophy. And Satan, being the author of all godless philosophies, he does not want the gospel to be preached. Now, these guys are, are undoubtedly likable guys. Okay, I haven't met any of the three that we've talked about so far that we've listened to clips to so far, but I'm sure that they're nice 
decent guys to hang out. Well, maybe not Russell Moore, but the other two are, are pretty nice. No, they could probably be charming. Yeah, they could probably be charming. Um, and they might be fun to shoot the breeze with or have good conversations with. Uh, they might, they're good orators of God's word, undoubtedly. I, mean, I shouldn't say of God's word, but they're, they're good orators. They're good speech givers. And the problem is, though, this philosophy is rooted in postmodernism. Likeability doesn't equate to agreeability. Is that correct? Yeah, your ability to communicate, you know, it's a wonderful thing, but again, it's a tool. What are you using that gift for? Are you using that gift for God, the giver of all gifts and, and rights? Or are you using that gift for something else? And these gentlemen are actually doing something else. They're not using it. They're not, they're not speaking from the Bible. And here's the interesting thing about the Bible. God has complete command of the language. What he put in there is exactly what he wanted us to do. These guys are adding on to it as if they have a better idea. This is what it means. And you'll see this, that the, the Bible is insufficient for these various movements, so they're going to turn it more towards their thinking. They're going to look at it through the lens of their man perspective. And that's a problem. That, that is a problem. And here as we're looking at this idea of critical race theory, of identity politics, of really racism is how they're painting this within the church. And the issue is, is like I said, we don't just see this in the big names like David Platt, like Russell Moore. It trickles down into the GARBC National Conference. But last week as I was sitting at my computer, I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw a guy who I'm friends with on Facebook. He's from Iowa. He's a young pastor. He's from a small town in Iowa in the, the grand scheme of things would be at a small church in Iowa. And there he puts, I'm preaching on race this week. Now, I, th that's a fine thing to preach on. There are things you could preach on about race. Um, and a lot of sermons have been preached on that. A lot of good sermons have been preached on that. Right. But they didn't have to mingle it with social justice or any of these Marxist theories. Right. They didn't have to mingle it with that social justice or these th these Marxist theories. But, but I sat there and I thought, you know what? I wonder what this guy is going to preach. And I really had no doubt in my mind what he was going to preach, not because I was prejudging the sermon or even prejudging the preacher, but because I knew the influences in this man's life. And the problem with these influences are they're these same people that we're talking about. Russell Moore, David Platt, the Garb National Conference. And the issue is, is that a lot of times we like to look at these things and say, you know what? It's okay because they're so far away from us. They're, they're all these big names. They can believe what they want, but it's not going to impact little old me, especially when you're in the, the Midwest, in the heart of the Midwest, in Iowa. We, we like to, to believe that these things just don't impact us, but they do. They do. And that's why we need to be vigilant and look at these. But let me go ahead and play a clip from a man from Prairie Flower Baptist Church, David Kotner. Even though just because you have white skin doesn't necessarily mean you are guilty of anything, there is something to be said about your white privilege. Here's what I mean that. When I say that, I'm saying because of your ethnic background, specifically your white skin, you do not have the same issues and fears and anxieties as other people of color in this country. Okay? And that, that's a very logical statement. At some level, you should be able to play ball with me on that statement. Actually, David, I, I don't think I can play ball on that statement. And the reason I can't play ball on that statement is because what you're espousing is actually critical race theory. And that's what we've been looking at uh, today is critical race theory here 
on this podcast. Now, critical race theory, we've already gone over that it emphasizes experience over argument, but Neil Shenvey wrote a book, A Long Review of Race, Class, and Gender, in 1992. So this isn't a new idea, by the way. This is in, I mean, I was born in 1992, so I think that's a pretty long time ago. Um, but also, these ideas have, have been around for a quite some time. But it gives four premises of the critical race theory. And premise number one is human relationships should be fundamentally understood in terms of power dynamics, which differentiate groups into oppressors and the oppressed. Patrick, is that exactly what he was saying when he said, was talking about white privilege? Yes, and this is classical Marxism too. So you only, in, in Marx's book, you had the uh, bourgeoisie, which were the oppressors, those who owned the means of production, and the proletariat, the workers that were being oppressed by them. So you bring this forward through cultural Marxism into today. It's still about oppressors versus those that are oppressed. And in the, even though he said, well, it doesn't necessarily mean because you're white, it actually does when you get into the, the depths of social justice. If you are a white male heterosexual, you are an oppressor. You were born that way. And if you are other than that, you are in some classification, the oppressed. And that's what it's about. They are, it, it is actually an anti-white, anti-founding, anti-Christian movement. And by that, I mean that Western civilization, once again, came through Western culture, uh, through the, the gospel came through that. So that's what they're targeting. That, that's exactly right. And to continue on with these premises, though, looking at critical race theory, premise number two is our identity as individuals is inseparable from our group identity, which, once again, is a completely Marxist philosophy. Is that correct? Communist or com community, yes. In, in the communist system, there is no individual. There's no God-given rights because... God is the church, God has been, or God is the government, God has been eliminated. There's no individual rights. Whatever privilege you have is issued by government. So here's this whole idea of getting rid of the individual. And of course, we come to Christ individually. Our salvation is worked out individually through fear and trembling. We individually repent of our sins. We individually choose to follow you, Christ. You mean you didn't get saved just because you're a white person? You know, come to think of it, I guess I didn't know. It was actually an individual act of, of my will that I came with, with the Holy Spirit's working. So that's not part of your white privilege, I take it then? No, I, I guess not. I never really thought about it that way, but thank so, you for clarifying that for me. Yeah, so, so what is part of your white privilege? Well, white privilege, when you actually look at statistics, um, people tend to do well when they're raised in a two-parent home. And it doesn't matter what race you are. If you are raised in a two-parent home, you, by and large, have a much better chance at life as far as securing a job, not ending up in prison, not ending up pregnant, not ending up addicted to drugs, that sort of thing. And it doesn't matter what color you are. When this doesn't happen, when you were raised in a single-parent home, all these other bad things that he's talking about, these different fears and, and that, that's what happens to you. And, it, and again, it's not limited to the color of your skin. It's limited to how you're brought up and in what family atmosphere. And it's interesting that God told us that uh, marriage should be between a man and a woman, and that's through the institution by which we raise children. That's the family unit. That's the basic unit. And then after that is church, and then there's government. So um, a lot of what they're calling white privilege is simply a matter of living biblically. And when you don't live biblically, there are certainly consequences, not just for you, but unfortunately you pass those on to your offspring. Well, and let's just go ahead for just a moment and, and play their game, because it's it's kind of fun to play their game, uh, to be able to use experience instead of argument, to be able to use experience instead of fact. 
instead of reality is really what they're trying to do. Um, I am part gypsy. My wife is part Irish. Now, does that really bring you so much privilege? I mean, I'm curious, you know, gypsies generally are not looked uh, well upon. I, I normally like to use that as kind of a fun fact to point out, you know, I'm part gypsy. And then the first thing that people say after I say that is, oh yeah, I better watch my wallet. Um, <laughs> that, that, hey, my watch is gone. What happened? Yeah. I, I, I mean, this, you, you know, look at that, that. That is not white privilege on my part. In fact, if anything, that's that's a, a downfall of my experience. And, and what if I were to go into, into say that? My, oh man, because I'm, I'm white, because that's the complexion of my skin, by the way. I'm, I'm white. Would, would I be able to say that, oh, people look down upon me because I'm, I'm white and because I'm, I'm part gypsy? Also, like I said, my, my wife is, is part Irish, which number one means that she has red hair, so she doesn't have a soul. No, 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 that's just a joke that we make. Uh, but it's also the idea of, you ever heard of the Irish white slaves yes um looking at that that also doesn't bring any privilege about this now that this isn't the argument that i'm trying to make these would be stupid arguments to make everybody listening to this would believe that hey these are stupid arguments you're trying to make but these are the exact same arguments that this other side is making this white privilege let me tell you lebron james's children i'm sure grew up in much more privileged home or are growing up in a much more privileged home than 99% of the white folks that live on this earth. Now, if we were to go, and that would be our experience of the only black person we knew was LeBron James and his family, would that be the right thing to be able to go and to make an assessment of that? I don't think that would be quite accurate in the overall picture, no. It's an interesting story for sure, but it doesn't apply across the board. No. And the problem is here, there are other factors to look at this other than just race. What do people look like? That There are much more, many more things, I should say, that we can look at. And just like you pointed out, one of the biggest factors is a two-parent home, living in biblical principles. Why are we trying to add a social dynamic and apply it to this issue? And Why not are, address the underlying issues of what's really causing some problems in our society. Right, and, and especially from the pulpit. I mean, that's just that's just a travesty, isn't it? Yes. You, we have pastors, or, or they claim to be pastors, men of God, out there pushing these Marxist theories. And we've, we've gone over where they come from. So instead of actually taking the time in their sermon to preach a good sermon. And let me just stop for a second. Some of these guys sometimes preach some good sermons. And you go, wow, well, that guy, he, that was a good sermon. I'll have to agree with you. It was. But they have to preach sermons like that. If they was preaching all rotten stuff all the time, you might catch on to them. So a lot of times you'll hear good stuff from them. Or even in a sermon, you might hear some good things. You go, yeah, that's right. But notice that's just the catch and to dig you into it. That's, that's, then they do the switch and bait on you. Then with the good stuff they're saying, They'll throw in some bad stuff. Then they'll back back out. Russell Moore's really good at this. And they'll, they'll say some other good stuff. At least it sounds good. But when you start breaking it down, like, well, there's a lot of image there, but not a lot of substance. But you have to realize these guys are very good at what they do. These guys have been recruited because of their abilities to communicate. But they have a certain narrative, a certain idea they're supposed to put across. And that's what they're doing. They're going to wrap it in Bible verses. They're going to try to sound nice and, and, and calm and collected. But it's about what they're saying. It's how they're going to try to change your mind. That's right. And and I'm not trying to say David Kotner is one of those guys who is a, an out-and-out Marxist. In fact, I, I don't at all believe that he is an out-and-out Marxist. 
Um, but I do believe that the trickle-down effect from him following guys who are Marxist, like Russell Moore and David Platt, are there. And the sad thing is, of course, the people from David Kotner's pulpit, or excuse me, who sit in the pews in front of David Kotner's uh, pulpit or chairs or whatever seating arrangement they have. Uh, personally, I prefer a lazy boy. I, I've tried to get that in a few times to our church to get rows of lazy boys, but that, that just hasn't gone through yet. We're working on that. Uh, but that has nothing to do with anything. But, uh, <laughs> but, but those people are also being infected by this Marxist philosophy. And once again, this is rooted in a godless philosophy, which the author of all godless philosophies is Satan. And this is this critical race theory. This is this identity politics. This is the idea that you are either an oppressor or you are the oppressed. And that whole, that's a good point you brought up there, that a lot of these people out there, especially in these smaller churches, that might be parroting what they've heard, they don't know this is Marxist stuff. This is why we're putting this podcast out, and this is why we're addressing these issues. They know the ideas. They've come to think of them as Christian because they've never heard anything other than that. They don't know where these ideas come from. They don't know the actual agenda behind these ideas. And that's what we're trying to get you to open your eyes up to tonight, your ears certainly first, and, and your eyes, is that where this stuff comes from, and, and as Pastor Sam said, not everybody that talks this stuff realizes that. So there's the deceived, those that believe the lie, and then the deceiver, those that believe in the lie or the agenda of the lie. And there's a definite difference between the two. That's right. And this is a, a, a big issue because I can tell you from being a pastor myself, once you become a pastor, you don't all of a sudden get a cape and you can fly around and all of a sudden your theology is perfect and all of a sudden uh, you have these spiritual superpowers. That, that's not how it works at all. And so many of these pastors that are, especially I would say in these smaller churches, and they're going and they don't have these big elaborate staffs and they don't have these big elaborate budgets, they're going around and they're listening to their favorite preachers, which are bigger names, okay? You're, you probably haven't heard of Sam Jones before, well, or if you have, it's probably not me. You've probably heard of a Sam Jones, but not this one. Well, he's one of my favorites. <laughs> and... And they go around and they listen to these other guys like David Platt, like uh, Russell Moore. Oh, the Gospel Coalition. That, that's such a wonderful sounding name. People going and coming together for the sake of the gospel. The problem is, is that they've come together for the sake of the wrong gospel. The problem is, is that these guys use nice Christian spiritual words. Like you said, they wrap it in Bible verses and they present this really to preachers is who they're presenting this to in church leaders. And then they go and present it to their congregations. And each one of these messages really had the same talking points from Ephesians chapter 2. Now, once again, Ephesians chapter 2, it's part of the Bible. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture, and it talks about a reconciliation between God and man. And they'll go and say, well, look, we come together in one body. It says right there, one body, and it destroys the hostility. The problem is, is that the hostility is between man and God, not between man and man. Your sin against fellow man isn't the reason you're condemned to hell. Your sin against God is the reason you're condemned to hell. It is that we have violated the character of God. We need our relationship restored with God. And that's what the gospel's about. 
It's about Jesus Christ coming and dying on the cross to restore a relationship with God. Now, undoubtedly, it gives opportunity to then go and to share that grace, to go and to share that love, and to go and to work in the lives of other people, to go and to get unity, to go and to get all this other stuff, and to get along and things like that. But it has it has nothing to do with why Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ died to save us from our sins and to save us from eternity in hell. Not so that we would get along, though it does give us a rallying point. That's all it is, is an opportunity to get along. It's not something that magically makes us get along. And that's one of the biggest theological issues with these sermons. But the greatest issue is that they're all coming from this point of social justice, of Marxism, in this godless philosophy. Well, Patrick, we're just about out of time. Any more or any closing thoughts that you might have? Well, you know, we're talking about some of these big name pastors that we just heard some of the clips from them. And we also have to realize that pastors and churches today are not just hearing this from people they maybe look up to and idolize or reading their books. They're also unfortunately getting it in the seminaries, in the schools of theology, in the Bible colleges. This was part of the, the communist plan going back many years, was, which we infiltrated society, was to infiltrate these areas that we're going to be preaching and, or teaching the next generation of pastors. In fact, in the book, The Naked Communist, which Naked is... Naked Communist, new... 1958. That's right. Uh, Cleon Skousen, former FBI agent, wrote this book. He wrote the 45 planks that the Marxists or the communists in this country were going to use at that time. Now, realize this is 1958. And uh, these planks were read into the 1963 congressional record, but they're part of that naked communist. If you look it up on the internet, 45 planks, they'll go down the list. And it's it's the really frightening thing is at the time, these were things they wanted to accomplish. If you read those 45 goals and look at it today, if you look at it realistically, you say, check, check, check. Most of it's been accomplished. In fact, I believe it was the 27th plank, uh, which was getting the social gospel Yes. into the churches. Infiltrating the churches. And this movement started back, oh, early 1900s. And we can, we'll detail that maybe in another podcast. Some of the names of the people that brought the social gospel forward, which became known as social justice, even naming some of the theological schools that they taught at. So these men were not just pastors. They were already in seminaries polluting minds with this Marxist garbage. And that's what we're dealing with today. And that's what we're trying to shed light on. And this has been a good discussion on critical race theory and on quite a bit of apostasy within the church. And that's that's a marker of our times is apostasy. The overall overarching scheme is the great falling away. And what we're doing is discussing one aspect of it. We'll discuss more. That's right. Well, until next time, the Shining Light Podcast, Shining Light into Darkness. Have a great day.